Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is my co-panelist and founder of Three Moves Ahead, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It's good to be here on a surprise Saturday evening. That's true, and we have our former intern, of course, to blame for this. Uh, I asked Soren Johnson uh, to let me know when he would be available for a podcast to discuss uh, a topic he suggested, uh, the the decline of the traditional RTS and uh, the way the format could evolve uh, over time. Coincidentally, Soren is developing an RTS. We'll come to that in a moment. But the great thing is, I was like, let me know when you're available. And then this morning, Soren's just like, I'm available now. Uh, which was pretty awesome. I was like delighted to have Soren on the show, but at the same time, a little notice, buddy. <laughs> like the uh, the last minute announcements. It's good. Uh, but anyway, it's so good to have our intern back on the show. Uh, you know, he's done so much since he left us. Uh, well, actually, things got a little quiet while while you went off to Zynga for a bit there. Uh, yeah, that's going to be kind of a uh, missing link in my career because the <laughs> the game I worked on there uh, was actually pretty fun to play internally, but it got basically completely, completely shut down when Zynga Baltimore got, got closed. And so, you know, so really was, the most uh, important line in your resume between Civ four and the present is three moves ahead. Uh, yeah. I, I look at my you know time as an intern really as the springboard into my, my future here. And speaking of your future, uh, you have recently started a new studio. You are the CEO and founder of Mohawk Games. Uh, so congratulations on that. And I was very disappointed to learn that you do not presently have a Mohawk. <laughs> We're misleading people already. I know. I know. My apologies. You know, why don't you take some of the topic a little bit? We, we were, when we were talking the uh, other day, we were doing an interview regarding your studio. We, we got off on a little tangent about sort of the decline of the traditional RTS and it's, it's topical now, especially because the new command and conquer game, uh, the, the, the free to play MOBA that EA were developing, uh, with victory games was canceled, uh, last week. And so, you know, there's, there's once again, a lot of discussion of what is the future of the traditional RTS. And from your point of view, you know, when we were talking, you, you sort of thought the entire genre really is kind of anomalous. Yeah, um, I mean, one of the issues that I usually bring up when I talk about RTSs is, is that the term can mean two very different things. Usually when you mean RTS, you're talking about a very very specific thing. Uh, you, mean, you, you're, you mean a game like StarCraft, a game like Age of Empires, a game like Command & Conquer, you know, where you start out with a couple of units, you immediately build a base, you have a couple basic resources that you use to create units, and you know, there's probably some sort of you know, rush boom turtle uh, arrangement, um, but it's you know it's ultimately about slamming your forces into someone else's. Um, you know, it's a it's a war game done in real time. Um, you know, but beyond that, they they do all fit some very um, there. There's a lot of similarities between all of these games, um, and you know, I think that form of of game that you know that what we you know, think of when we have think of RTS, you know, kind of probably peaked you know, perhaps a decade ago, you know, it's, um, you know, at this point, um, I, I wouldn't say that these type of games are, um, you know, ones that hold a ton of interest, interest 
to the modern player. Um, I mean, I think there's still plenty of, of RTS diehards out there, and you know, obviously StarCraft II was was still a huge hit. But um, you know, I think MOBAs have kind of stolen their thunder a great deal. Um, and really, from my perspective, the big issue is that they're kind of just the same game over and over again. Um, you know, it was you know a revelation when you could play. You know, games like, you know, Doom 2 and Command & Conquer back in and Warcraft back in the, the 90s. You know, there was really nothing like that. Um, but, you know, that's not that's not really enough anymore. We need, we need something new. We need something, something different. Um, so when I think of the term, this is potentially what should be the second meaning. Um, you know, real-time strategy should mean just that. It's a strategy game played out in real time. Um, the, the key, the importance of real time is if you want a game that plays well as a multiplayer game, you know, it really needs to be real time. You know, turn-based games, uh, can work well if you're playing, you know, something asynchronously, you know, there's some interesting mobile turn-based games that, that are fun, you know, often they're, they're board game ports or whatever, but, you know, for sort of core PC strategy games, you know, there's not really a lot of successful multiplayer turn-based games. It was, you know, for Civ, it was always, you know, sort of a challenge of figuring out how to get that format to work. So, you know, really, if you're talking multiplayer, you're talking real time. Well, I was just going to say, it definitely seems like, uh, you know, the mobile the mobile markets had much more luck with that sort of uh, asynchronous turn-based system. Uh, that seems to be sort of the way people do multiplayer gaming on their iPads and their phones. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the PC, I, I think... You know, certainly like play by email stuff kind of ended up in the same in the same area as uh, traditional play by mail did. Uh, something that you you know you really had to commit to it because it was the it was the first thing that you'd stop doing uh, when you got busy. Yeah, it's you know it's funny how to think that there's there's a number of types of games that are sort of theoretically possible. You know, like theoretically, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to play all sorts of interesting asynchronous games on your PC. It's just that somehow that doesn't fit the typical use case of your of your computer. You know, you, you're usually not sort of rapidly firing up, switching between games all the time when you're at your PC. And beyond that, you're probably there for a specific reason. You know, whereas you know a nice turn-based game on your on your phone, you know, that's something you could play when you're stuck waiting for some, you know, stuck waiting somewhere for five minutes or you know, you're, you're watching TV and the commercial comes up, right? Like, that's that's something that, that works well for that device, which just does not work well for PC games. So I want to go back to something you, you said a moment ago about the, they're all kind of the same game. I'm, like, first of all, I know that Tom Chick at this point is probably, you know, <laughs> throw, put an axe through his computer or something. Uh, so we'll, you know, obviously we're going to qualify that statement as the show goes on. But something I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about, uh, Troy, is that you know when I think of the history of the genre, I do think that it was it has such unlike a lot of genres, this has such a few obvious cornerstones that set the template for everything that followed, and in a lot of ways, it seems to me like attempts to break outside that template were kind of shunned. I'm not entirely sure why, but it, it just seem it does seem like Warcraft and the uh, old Westwood Dune Two Command and Conquer model. Uh, ha- cast such a shadow over over the entire genre that it really kind of defined everything that was to come. Yeah, I mean that those were the early games out of out of the gate. 
Um, but you have to do a long chronology to see exactly who was borrowing from who and where it start, stopped and where it started. I mean, Dune 2 is the first one uh, that I remember playing. Um, and I just didn't quite understand it, uh, to be honest. I, I was watching my friend play it. I did not understand it. What do you mean it's real time? I played real time games before. It's not like strategy games in real time were new. Um, but the traditional real-time strategy game, and I'm kind of the opposite of Soren. I'd like to reserve real-time strategy games for like that specific base-building, harvesting, defense-type game because you know real-time war games go way, way back to like the dawn of computing. I mean, they're not new. I mean, I, even like the the I mean, Harpoon. That's a real-time war game. Populous. That's a real-time strategy game. By the real by, it plays in real time. Um, Paradoxes games are play out in real time, but I prefer to think of them as continuous time strategy games for to coin a term because of the way you can pause, stop, give orders, do all the things you can do while the clock's playing, but you can stop the things you can't do in a traditional uh, base building RTS. So the whole point is the time pressure. And if you hit pause, you can't do anything because the time pressure is the entire point of a traditional real-time strategy game. But yeah, they really did have these games come along in the... Uh, in the 90s that um, changed, that did set the mold. And you did have this idea somehow grew up that a game where you had a base you had to defend, therefore it had to have all of these different elements. And Soren's right that there, most of the innovation was done in not really dramatic ways. They were like, let's add another, let's add a third resource or a fourth resource. Let's have... Let's do the StarCraft thing and have three dramatically different races or do uh, the Age of Empires thing. Have 15 races, which are quite different from each other, but in not necessarily obvious ways. Uh, so they would have a lot of differences in in, 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 in numbers uh, more than in play. I guess Warcraft 3, with its, with its hero focus, was probably the one that was the probably the most dramatic change. And that the, for that, the fact that that leads to the development of MOBAs from the modding community, I think, um, is not entirely coincidental. You didn't have modders making new types of games from uh, the other uh, types of RTSs before. And modders might, you know, change some skins here and there, change costs, but they weren't creating new types of games because that really wasn't in their... It wasn't in their core. It wasn't in in the game them said the games themselves were so constrained. Um, I mean, you could do. And I I, I guess the interesting question. Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't think that's the reason why you only have StarCraft today because you really just have StarCraft today. There are a few ones in the indie scene. We had Akron come out, Trist, you know, two very small independent mm -hmm. RTSs can come out, which are in the traditional model. And, you know, Akron at least tries to do some really cool, neat things, but it's still very much a traditional base-building, real-time strategy game. Um, and you have, you have the Relic games, which are about territorial control instead of uh, base destruction, uh, which is you know, actually quite different. Uh, it is sort of a gameplay innovation, but it's still collect resources and build units. Um, as for why they ended up fading, I mean, the Relic games were quite successful, um, but Relic itself as a studio uh, was not. Because it was tied to THQ or whatever, Relic itself ended up could not sustain the production of more and more R RTSs. And I guess the question is why 
these games don't continue because you have all kinds of genres that don't have a lot of variation between them. I mean, there's as much difference between, you know, Battlefield and Call of Duty as there is between Age of Mythology and StarCraft. Well, what I, what, what I have in mind is that um, I think it's actually pretty incredible that RTS has ever succeeded to begin with because the demand they place on the player is incredibly high, much higher than almost any other genre I can think of, right? Um, and I think the, the, you know just being able to manage tens or even hundreds of units and an economy and base building and you know this this large map and you know exploration and there's so many things to juggle and, and you know as with most genres it's not like they simplified it over time right they yeah. generally layered on more and more mechanics um, and so you know of course you had sort of the typical sort of flight simulator history where you know the games get more and more complicated and the you know the audiences get smaller and smaller but even at the beginning, I'd say that it's it's really remarkable. So many people did play RTSs. I, I think you know the the novelty factor, the fact that being able to just even make it possible went a long, long way. Yeah. Um, and I think the the Warcraft three example is really interesting because I think that's a clear case where they were trapped by the conventions of the genre, and they they kind of basically. Open the you know open the doors for what would became MOBAs, but they they weren't able to go as far as they needed to. They almost the 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 modders essentially saw a path that you know the you know Blizzard themselves couldn't see because they were so set in the mind frame of what it meant to make an RTS. Right. Right. The interesting thing is though they weren't. Now if you remember there was actually before Warcraft three became what we know today, there was right. actually a radically different design proposed. Now, like if you go and look up like archival issues of P uh, PC Gamer or something, they did an entire preview of a game that honestly sounded very MOBA-ish, or maybe in some ways almost uh, a, a bit. Um, you know, if you were taking the. Uh, brutal legend uh, sacrifice type model where you're sort of controlling one central hero, but then right. running an RTS through this. That was kind of the original vision for Warcraft 3. So so Blizzard were definitely sort of realizing that there were there were boundaries to the genre they were starting to butt up against and they wanted to break through them. And then what they ended up doing was actually a much more conservative game, one that I think was really, really cool. I think it worked out really well. It did some important things for the RTS in general, but it absolutely was a step back from a radically different game they originally proposed, which is going to be one central hero and a handful of units running around on a battlefield pretty much devoid of bases or economy. Right. Well, it'd be interesting to know if, if did they essentially lose their nerve or were they just not able to... Um, you know, develop it as you know. Were they not able to make a game that was as fun as you know what MOBAs became? You know, like did they? Could they have done that in a vacuum? You know, internally, or was that something that would have had to spring up? You know, somewhere else, right? Like, could they have? Could they have seen? You know, what what the Dota designers saw, or, or did they? Or did they just panic? Like, you know, like this is crazy. We're going too far. This, you know, we're making Warcraft three. And this looks nothing like Warcraft 3. I mean, this looks nothing like what people would expect, right? Like, I could totally imagine them yeah. having those type of discussions and getting scared, you know, and walking backwards. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I actually should ask someone, when I'm at BlizzCon next week, I should track someone down who might be able to answer that question as to what happened to that original uh, that, that original vision. But I, I do, I do kind of feel, and, and Troy, you have to let me know if you you think this is a fair summary. But I kind of always felt that the RTS space was kind of conservative. Like I, I sort of look at 
sort of the frosty reaction games like Kohan, uh, you know, ended up receiving. Yeah. Yeah, those communities never really formed around people who were doing something pretty damn different. I think history repeated itself a little bit with uh, with a game like Ruse, uh, where Yugen kind of had to go off and basically do their own thing as a, a, a semi-indie studio. studio. Uh, in, instead of continue operating as part of like a ma- like a mainstream RTS franchise, it it's weird, you know, because there's. I think back to the show we did a few months ago on RTS campaigns, um, you and me and Tom, uh, story based campaigns and RTSs after the, after the second StarCraft two thing came out, and you know we pretty much ragged on them the entire show, uh, and on the forum. We people, we people were mad at us for talking about you know single player games like that because I play the campaigns. I love the campaigns. That's all I play. They say. Uh, so I think I wonder how much of the problem is the internet is the fact that there was this because some games did build huge communities, active communities, loud communities. Uh, that could talk what they were doing, single either single player or uh, multiplayer, but often multiplayer. I mean, people you go on the StarCraft forums. You're generally going to be somebody who played a lot of BattleNet matches. Uh, you aren't going to be going there to talk about whatever. Uh, so people tried other RTSs, and they wanted games. The multiplayer community would be louder than the single player community. That might have been might have been quite content, and was not willing to take all of these new risks on learning a whole new type of RTS for whatever reasons. Um, Kohan, for example, isn't great for the Rush Boom Turtle system. It really is a more delicate economy, requires some tactical knowledge, uh, requires armies you have to restructure with some organization and formations. That's a really, that was a brilliant design, Kohan 1 and Kohan 2. Um, and they never found, maybe they did find a reasonable single-player audience, or they could have, um, but the the push for stronger multiplayer in every RTS all the way through, um, and that becoming kind of the way to keep your community going and active, probably required a greater engagement with the community and giving up on ideas the community had discarded early in a design process or before the second or third patch. Um, and I wonder if that did make some developers a little bit gun shy. Well, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I remember when, um, when, when we had Chris Taylor on the show to talk about a uh, wild man, uh, God rest its soul. Uh, when, when he was on the show to talk about wild man, one of the, his points was that he, he felt like in RTS development, if you look at, you know, if you look at statistics for who is playing, what, where the majority of users' time is spent on your game, the majority of users spend most of their time playing your single-player campaign. And so, you know, Chris, you know, Chris said, like, I feel like every time we sit down to design one of these things, we look at those numbers, we look at that data, and we say, okay, we hear you, we're going to give you what you want, here's your hardcore multiplayer RTS. And it happens every time, because you always end up pitching to, that's that's going to be your core audience. But I do think... You know, the, the reaction to our show about single-player campaigns was instructive because uh, clearly there are a lot of people who enjoy that stuff. And I think, you know, in the early 90s, mid-90s, I think, you know, maybe to Soren's point about it's kind of amazing these games ever got big at all. I think one reason is because there was no way to know you were playing them completely frigging wrong. 
You could just be, you know, you're just beating up on a computer in scripted missions and everything, and you're, you're the general. And the spectacle was always pretty cool. Like, if you think back to what games looked like that, you know, were contemporary with Command & Conquer, like, nothing else could offer these huge battles. Nothing could offer, like, that sort of spectacle. So I, I feel like it was really easy for people to sort of blunder through these games, not playing them at all the way they kind of demand to be played uh, on a serious multiplayer level and still having a great time. But the moment everything was hooked up all the time, you could just, you know, multiplayer's only click away and you're plugged in that community, you realized, oh, this is how you play the game and I can't do that. Yeah, but but not, even, not even just multiplayer because I remember, I think, I mean, I, I love Age of Empires. I've always loved Age of Empires. But I remember when I stopped falling in love with it when the love kind of went away a bit. And it was when someone linked me a forum post on how to get to age two in 30 seconds. Oh. When it all became math. Yeah. When it became, it's like when, when, because they're kind of the most mathematical of strategy games. I mean, I have this talk with a friend quite a bit, this friend who's into precision and practice, which is why she plays, you know, platformers and music games. Uh, and all these things that are about precision, practice, science, you know, I want to be the best at this. Whereas strategy games, there's a little bit more randomness, a bit more chance, does the strategy work, what's coming at me. Once the RTS in single player, and you saw this in pretty much every RTS very quickly after they came out, was reduced to mathematics and times and how long it takes to get to age two, how long it takes to gun to gunpowder, etc. Um for some people, I don't know for me, they, they tend to lose a little bit of the romance. And I learned not to do that anymore. It's like going onto a forum about... I had the same thing when I was playing Caesar 2 or 3, and I read a forum post on how to build the perfect city block. It's like, oh, dude, no. No, this is the point. That's not why I play these games. I don't play right. these games for the perfection. Um, so they became so much about the min-maxing. So the designs had to either find a way to deal with that, either by building these... But doing what StarCraft did. What StarCraft did, I mean, you could do the min-maxing in StarCraft, but if you're up against an entirely different race with an entirely different play style, that min-maxing may not help you, depending on what they're doing. Uh, so the more ga- I think more games push towards that way, towards uh, asymmetri- asymmetrical design. To get but having that interaction that. requires a fairly high skill level. Sure, but even in, but even in single-player single skirmishes, different levels. I mean, this is an issue in single-player skirmishes, yeah. not just in multiplayer. This is about you interacting with the game and its design. This isn't just about you interacting with somebody on the side. Multiplayer is a part of it, but a lot of it is also you want to get past that really tough mission. You want to play in the highest difficulty level. You want to get the achievements. Because now we have achievements in Steam, which, you know, if we had achievements back then, there would be achievements. Get to age two in five minutes. That would be an achievement. And be pushing you down that path. Um, so I think that the more, and I think while games started to stay within, RTS tried to stay within that design, base building, rock, paper, scissors, uh, resource collection, but also try to break away from the math, you run into a lot of problems because the early games were so much about nice, elegant math. Yeah, the, um, I mean, the RTSs, generally speaking, were very, very concerned about balance. You know, you can understand why when they're really trying to support these big multiplayer communities. But, you know, think that, you know, the Age of Empires series was very much an outlier because it had random maps. You know, um, you know the you know, StarCraft, I mean, everything's preset. So, you know, you, you know for a specific map exactly, you know, how you should, how you should perform. And the, the, the base layouts always look a sort of a certain way. And, um, 
it, you know, even within Age of Empires, which had random maps, they had a very specific format for what your home area looked like. You know, you know you're going to have your stone over here and your gold over here and you have some berry bushes over here and there's going to be some wood within the range of here. Right. So, you know, really, it's not, it's not that random, right? Um, you know, where you compare that to something like Civ, where that's part of the great joy of the game is you're going to get these wild, wildly variant maps, right? And that's, that's, you know, Civ can take advantage of that because it's a single player game, right? You, know, you don't really have to worry about balance quite so much. Um, and, you know, that's, that's one of the big issues that you know, RTS has had to face. But, you know, it's, it's funny because, um, I mean, I, again, to me, this kind of gets back to that point of, like, what's, what's the ideal multiplayer strategy game? Because to me, there's just, there's too much stuff going on in an RTS game. And, um, you know, like kind of when, you know, when we kind of hit that period, you know, in the, the 2000s where, you know, suddenly you would see, you know, you might have been playing RTSs, you know, in a, in a vacuum, you know, maybe just with some friends, in, you know, for land games or whatever. Anyway, everyone was sort of, sort of their own island. Um, you know, so you could be playing the game very poorly, but still have a lot of fun. But, you know, once everyone got connected, you kind of figured out very quickly, you know, what worked and what didn't work. Um, and, but, you know, RTSs are not the dominant multiplayer strategy game anymore. It's, it's MOBAs are, you know, and, you know, the, you know, there, there are way, way more people willing to play, you know, Dota or League of Legends online than we're willing to play, you know, Age of Empires or Command and Conquer or I think even StarCraft, um, just because, you know, when you reduce the the complexity load on the player of what they're what what's demand what what the game is demanding of them, you know, in you know in, in a MOBA you can't you can't select the wrong unit, right? I mean, it's, you have one unit selected that, that, you know, that's unit selection is not an issue, right? That that's, it's a huge problem in in RTSs. Yeah. There's nothing like less suing a bunch of units. And then you realize 10 of them are actually peasants. Right. (laughs) That's just an all in. Sending them off to die. Oh, Sick moves, Troy. Supposed to be centurions. (laughs) No, that's 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 a really good point, and I think it also helps that uh, in the MOBA case in particular, it's nice to have it not all on your own shoulders. I mean, there's something yep. really personal about not being good at an RTS. Like, I mean, this is a, you see this discussed all the time on um, on StarCraft forums. You, you see it on Team Liquid discussions about they talk about ladder anxiety. Uh, people like. Yep do not enjoy playing one of the core modes of the game uh, in, in a lot of cases. People get too wound tight by trying to ladder uh, because it's just it's a really bruising uh, psychological experience in some ways. Uh, and it makes it makes playing a little bit stressful, whereas if you've got a team around you, uh, be it strangers or friends, for one, it's not all your responsibility. And for two, you have the possibility, at least, and if you play enough games, you're going to experience, you, you will experience this, of being carried a little bit. You will have better people around you who can sort of make you feel like you are a better player than you are. And you know what? That may be counterfeit, but it feels pretty great. Um, and I, you know, going back to, I, I think, maybe some of the conservatism in, in the RTS space, I, I, I do kind of feel like. Um, there was a lot of focus on skill cap uh, y- y- across competitive gaming. Like you, you see people who play shooters uh, on about skill skill cap all the time, and it's no different with uh, RTS. People want in in the competitive community. It seems like there's a there's a high premium placed on how difficult a game is to master, and that makes that makes great sense 
for spectating games like you want to watch difficult games being played by people because it looks amazing like seeing someone play a game like starcraft at a really high level is spectacular but when it comes to playing a game for yourself like i i honestly suspect there's a lot of people who enjoy a game like kohan which really does not have a tenth of the micromanagement or uh you know administration that it takes to to deal with uh you know a starcraft build but I also think it's a much more accessible strategy game. There isn't this there isn't this huge executional gulf between you and the strategy game you're supposed to be playing the way there is in a lot of traditional RTSs. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to we have we can't really divorce you know the evolution of the RTS from the technology. I mean, the internet's a big part of it. And I think Soren is right that the RTS that succeeded it all is kind of a fluke. It's one of these things that just pops up, like like full motion video games, or like the or like the mist type uh, adventure games, that um, were huge. RTS is at a bit of a longer stay than that, but they came along when computer processes were getting very cheap and very powerful, um, and when internet connections weren't necessarily all that weren't everywhere, but you could do dial up. And you can play a multiplayer game. And the great thing about them is about the RTS multiplayer, if you did go online or do a LAN, or, is that may, most of the matches were over in like 40 minutes max. So you could go online, have your multiplayer juice, and then you'd stop because you weren't going to be online all the time anyway because you couldn't because your mom needed the phone. Mm-hmm. So you have these. So you have the internet. So you can engage with these games. You can learn the strategies. So you can get better. And you can play multiplayer, and you can read about them and see all the screenshots, and the animations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But still, it's very much a single-player experience because the technology kind of forces it to be kind of a single-player experience a lot, unless you have a dedicated internet connection, or you're a college student and don't care, or you have a computer lab or something, uh, which a lot of people did, which is why some games took off and some didn't. But you have. Like and a lot of those depend on community. Like Age of Kings gets big, Age of Mythology doesn't. Why? It's a mystery. Um, so I think technology and timing is a big part of why uh, RTS stuck off as big as they did when they did. Coming from you know the early '90s, the decade from like I guess you know '92 to 2002, I would say is the golden age there. You have a decade there, but even there, it's up and down, and you have differences of theme, and you've kind of been a lot of variants within it, but I don't think they're going to be coming back at that strength. Just, But, but you know, ad- adventure games are back because they're cheap. So, but, but RTSs are not. RTSs are expensive. <laughs> you could also argue that I think adventure games probably got healthier for being uh, a little bit cheaper, a little bit smaller, yep. and having being able to aim at little at smaller markets. Like, I don't think, I don't think 10 years ago... Do RTS can't do that. RTS is just too expensive to make. Well, I don't know. I mean, I like you know, I, I look at I look at what Eugen's doing with um with uh, Airland Battle, and yeah. I think you know that I mean they're 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 putting those out at a pretty good clip, and they're pretty exciting games. Like I would enjoy yeah. seeing more of that. Um, Sorry, and there's also other ways to make RTSs that don't sure. don't necessarily require you know a huge budget. Like you know, if I if I think you know of the last you know, sort of short period of time, you know, what are the, some of the most interesting RTSs? Like I think of games like uh, Defcon and Sword and Soldiers, you know, each of which had, right. you know, presumably very small development budgets, but were very, very interesting games. Um, 
and you know being able to avoid having to be done in 3D was probably a you know a big benefit for them. You know, was able to you really accentuate what made those games unique. No, that's that's very true, uh, and I actually want to uh, get onto that in just a moment and sort of what the future might look like. I just wanted to, you know, apropos of uh, Command and Conquer kind of being taken out behind the shed and shot. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to see what you guys sort of made of uh, of what happened with Victory and the uh, attempted re- remaking of Command and Conquer into a MOBA era. Uh, you know, what do you do? You draw any? Do you draw any other lessons from that? Do you draw any other signs for what the future holds for uh, the RTS? Oh man, there are just too many MOBAs. <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> say this because you know I've. A client who uh, makes uh, a pretty good MOBA, actually. Their reviews yeah. haven't been great, but I, 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 I think Prime World has a lot of neat stuff going on because it doesn't just have the traditional mobile play. But that, so that's one of my clients. But the, I think one of the issues is because they did have the MOBA design. I mean, if Sins of a Solar Empire, they're making a MOBA-ish game. Red Baron had to cancel its Kickstarter, and part of their design had a MOBA lane thing and it's like dudes this doesn't have to be everywhere um and i wonder if there was just some concern about on the maybe the development was slowed down because i couldn't find a way to get all of those parts to work together at victory um maybe they just saw the writing on the wall and said even you know free to play this is just not going to make enough money i don't know how was age of empires online doing it's still going but it's not churning out a whole lot of new content I think they officially stopped developing content for it. Yeah. So oh, no, they, yeah, they, developed like, that. they stopped doing that a while ago. My question is, yeah. like, are they at least supporting it, though? Yeah. Well, if they haven't pulled the plug, I guess, you know, that's something. But so. so, you know, I wonder if, you know, they've took a look at that and said, okay, how long can we actually keep people doing this beyond the support team um, if in a, in a free-to-play model? Um, but... So I wonder how a lot of it is probably just looking at the scenery out there and realizing that the MOBA is everywhere. So that's not necessarily going to be a selling point on its own. Unless it's a really good MOBA, no one's going to care. And the free-to-play is... It's tough for a free-to-play game um, to get any traction. Um, especially, depends on, I, don't know, I don't know how much money they were spending on it. Um, it was once a AAA franchise, but it's really not anymore. So I doubt it was getting, you know, SimCity money. But yeah, when you're talking free to play, the stakes just are, are so huge. Basically, like if you if you hit it, you're going to be unbelievably huge. But like the price of failure is just complete annihilation, right? There's no sort of there's not really a, a, a good middle level of success if you're free to play, right? I mean, that's the whole point. You need millions and millions. Of so it's a big gamble. Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, I just kind of came away from it feeling like I think I've always, I've always felt it was a little bit unfortunate that there was kind of the big two, which was Blizzard's RTSs and then uh, the the Command and Conquer series, because I always felt in terms of like quality, they weren't really close to parity. Like I I always felt that. Blizzard was doing the sort of, you know, base building RTS really, really well and going interesting directions with it. And Command and Conquer was going in just increasingly absurdist directions with from every standpoint, right? From unit design, from from product from the surrounding production. But the game itself I didn't feel now I never played Generals, which I, I, I do know there's a lot of love for. But I, I felt, you know, in the Red Alert franchise and the core franchise that 
you know, you, it didn't take long for me to start to feel that entire thing was played out, and it was kind of unfortunate that, you know, the Command and Conquer franchise, franchise was one of the places people looked, uh, you know, sort of take the temperature of the RTS genre when I don't think it was healthy for over half its life. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not surprised that they tried to turn uh, the next Command and Conquer into MOBA because I think you know, essentially MOBAs have eaten RTSs. Basically, I mean that's where we're at nowadays. Um, and I mean, I, I think there probably isn't room for a game on the market with a Command and Conquer RTS with you know with a multi you know tens of million dollars budget. Like I don't think there's space for that type of game anymore. Like I think those days are are now over. Um, so you know probably they you know they tried to turn into MOBA thrashed around with that i mean it's i it could work theoretically probably for some reason just it just didn't in terms of execution or you know it just was turned into one of those projects that had been you know lurking around for too long you know if you have sort of a big you know some big shifts midway through you know i mean that can make it really really hard to make a, a good game so um you know, i think that's probably you know the long and short of it i mean i, I think rts is like a traditional RTS as we think of it, you know, sort of the, the base building, you know, boom, turtle rush. I mean, I think that that type of game has to basically die before it can sort of be rebuilt, um, you know, on a much on a much smaller production scale, because I think that's that's the only way forward for, for that specific type of game. Uh, just to, one last bit of housekeeping. It would appear that uh, Age of Empires Online is shutting down uh, July 1st next year. Uh, so... <laughs> So now's yeah. the time to get into it. <laughs> yeah, so this is if if you were looking for a moment to get into Age of Empires Online, this well, this is the moment because there aren't many more of them. But don't spend uh, any money. No, do not spend money there. Well, uh, I'm not sp- I don't know. I mean, you get too much to play out of it, or, right? Or, or spend a ton of money and yeah, maybe, so maybe they'll, they'll change their mind. Yeah, and maybe everything <laughs> will go back to the way it was. No, but yeah, so it looks like that's going to shut down uh, July 1st. Of course, it's also probably not a great idea to launch a free-to-play uh, multiplayer game tied to games for Windows Live. That's just a thought, but, you know, who knows? Uh, anyway, <laughs> so moving on to the future now. Now, now Soren, you are working on on a game that I, I, I think you would call R- RTS uh, using the second definition, but maybe we can put a finer point on it before the end of the show. Uh, but but why don't you talk me through you know your your thinking from traditional RTS, uh, from your experiences designing other games, working for Axis, to what you're working on now? Okay. Um... So yeah, so when I when I think of RTS, I try to think in the broadest sense, you know, which is an RTS can mean can mean a game like Populous, right? I mean, I, that was clearly an RTS. Um, I, an RTS could be something like Railroad Tycoon. It could be something like Stronghold. You know that there, you know that there is, you know, it's the the paradox games are essentially RTS games. Um, you know that that it it should be a, just a very broad category. Um, at the same time. I think there is a big advantage to sort of the format of the traditional RTS, which means um, which means you know a game that you can play with you know two to eight players, uh, you know playable in you know thirty to forty five minutes, you know which means basically you can play it over your lunch break. Uh, something that's, that's hyper competitive, you know that is going to have some you know very clear outcomes. Um, you know, I think that is a, a great format. So I would like to make a game that fits that format and is a strategy game, but is clearly not, you know, your traditional StarCraft, 
Age of Empires, Command and Conquer, RTS. Right? Um, and I think, I mean, to me, that there is a big fertile space. Like, that is that is as good a format as, say, just the traditional board game format of, like, a game you can play in an hour with four friends at a, at a lunch table, right? Like, that, that is a format that has supported an immense variety of mechanics and themes. I mean, there are, there are you know, the board gaming world is exploding right now, right? right? And I feel like, like that, that same RTS format, you know, of, you know, two day players, 45 minute games is one that should support a bunch of different types of games. And so our first game is one that is aimed for that. Um, it's uh, the game that's, Right now, it's a game that's codenamed Mars. Um, it is actually set on Mars. Um, and the best way to describe it is it's an economic RTS, um, which means that um, it is, you know, it's a game that fits that RTS format that I mentioned before, but the actual game mechanics are more akin to a business sim or a tycoon game. You know, that you, uh, <clears throat> you're starting off you know, you're founding a colony on Mars, and then you're you know claiming plots of land, and then you're producing resources, and then you're you're building factories to turn you know one type of resource into something else, and then you're buying and selling resources out on the on the open market, um, and then eventually you know your the game ends you know you know on the stock market. You know, the ultimate goal is to buy out your competi- competition. Um, you know, and so it's. You know, a completely different set of game mechanics than what you would find in the traditional RTS, but it's just as competitive and you know potentially you know just as fun as interesting. Um, and since we're starting from scratch, you know we can make sure that we don't put the same sort of overwhelming demand on the players' you know attention that the traditional RTS games have suffered from. You know, there's a lot of advantages to being able to you know sort of start something from scratch as opposed to, you know, having to, you know, bring forward all the traditional conventions and some extra stuff along with it. So that's, you know, that's our theory. Now, when you describe that though, it certainly sounds more complicated than just grabbing a bunch of tanks and blowing shit up. Uh, when, when you talk about like gathering resources, but then there's also stock market and everything, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds to me like, boy, it's a competitive business sim. I don't know if I'm on board for that. Uh, but like, what are some, what are some, what are some analogs that we could look at? Like, what are some, what are some of the games that you're taking inspiration from that might sort of give us an idea of what you're working towards? Um, okay. Well, I mean, first of all, the, the actual game itself is not that complicated in terms of, you know, you, you you know you just you see an open market. There's a number of resources. You know, right now it's something like twelve or thirteen. You know, and you see the prices go up and you see the prices go down. And, you know, you can buy and sell, but it, you know it all it all fits under that format. What what's different is so I mean it has its own set of rules, just like a military RTS has its own set of rules. Uh, but one of the big differences is is that there's not really the same type of you know micromanagement as you would see in a military RTS, right? Like the Right, right now, and this this could change. There isn't unit selection, for example, right? You're making some specific high level choices, right? I'm going to claim that plot, and over the course of a you know an hour game, you might claim 15 plots, for example, right? And each of those plots, you decide to put a specific building on it, and the building you choose is going to affect you know what you're producing, but all that stuff happens automatically, right? Um, so. 
you know, there is there is plenty of gameplay depth there, but there isn't a whole lot of oh, where that unit go. I got to grab these guys and I got to send them over here. And like, oh, I forgot I left these people over here. And oh, geez, my peons aren't doing anything because you know they're the uh, the trees are all chopped down now. And you know it doesn't it doesn't have that same level of of pressure. Um, and and as for uh, and you know co- comparable games, uh, I mean, you know, as stated explicitly, you know, that's there. There isn't anything out there quite like this, but you know there are echoes in other games. Uh, if you want to go way back, um, I mean, Mule is a very easy comparison. Um, I mean, that's a game that was sort of you know both turn-based and real-time. Yeah, you know, I don't know how you would you know defies you know categorization. Um, I mean, that's that's going that is so far back, <laughs> right? I mean, that's 1982, 83, 1983, yeah. I think. Um, and uh, but you know that was a super competitive game that was all about economy and it was it was able to to do that with just simply four resources right um and uh another good comparison might be something like railroad tycoon you know imagine you know a game like railroad tycoon if it was kind of boiled down to something something a little similar and you know focused very much on the competition between the different different companies and it's it's elements of imperialism in there too i think with the production of tr- tr- the transitioning from some resources into different types of goods and then trying to sell them on a market. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll have essentially a resource tree, you know, like you'd see on the different maps right. in Railroad Tycoon, you know, where you have some, some primary resources, which then get turned into, you know, sort of manufactured goods. And, you know, there's sort of a different, you know, supply and demand of each one. And since you have random maps, you know, there's going to be a different distribution of resources. So, you know, in one game, one resource might be very valuable, but it might be very cheap in the next game. So, you know, it plays out very, very differently. Well, sure, it sounds it also right, it sounds a little bit like uh, well, I mean, there's there's a, there's a rich board gaming tradition of this certainly, right? I mean, like if you play games like Puerto Rico and such, uh, there's an entire variety of like competitive. Um, you know, resource stream optimization games uh, that, that are always a blast to play. And it's always struck me as a little bit unfortunate that, yeah, there's there's not really a tremendous number of games working that same turf uh, on, on PC. Especially in, especially in the real-time space. Yeah. I mean, this is this is where, exactly where I'm coming from. Like, in the, the traditional RTS format, you know, there's a real lack of, lack of variety. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, we're trying to, to, to tackle. Um, so, you know, we're, there are other, you know, you know, economic type games out there, you know, whether it's, you know, games like, you know, Tropico or, you know, uh, Patrician or, you know, you know, there's a, there's a good variety, you know, the Paradox games have a lot of economic stuff going on there, Yeah. but you know, like we're, 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 we're making this game for a very specific format, you know, so that's why, you know, we're very, you know, the, the pacing matters, the way that uh, you know it should it should fit you know a multiplayer format you know a lot of the um, you know a game like Rio Tycoon you know fits or even SimCity for example uh, you know has that sort of sprawling massive single player feel you know which is great but that's that's a, just a different type of format right yeah although SimCity could afford certainly afford to sprawl a bit more uh, but that is another <laughs> that is another story. Uh, if we sort of take your premise that like people like not just, it's not just the premise like there's there's observable facts like in the way people interact with their pieces of technology like people play one way on tablets they play another on PC and another uh, you know in person with board games and such but you know 
in your formulation at least, do you see the RTS as maybe becoming a little bit more fruitful of like as a place for board game style design? Because something we talk about on this show, uh, Troy, is that you know there's this all this design variety you see over in the board gaming space. There's this, this real this is real dynamism both in terms of theme and mechanics uh, that you. I don't think you see quite as much over on the PC, and I, I think that's been regrettable. It's interesting to think about like how RTS could change and become a bit more amenable to that kind of experimentation. I think that you're right. There's greater thematic variety in board games uh, than there is in computer games, but I think you know mechanically. Computer games still have a lot of neat stuff going on, even if they're hitting on the same types of themes and the same broad stuff. And even in, even in board games, things the ones you'll play generally break down to, is it a card game? Is it a deck-building game? Is it a worker placement game? Is it a race game? And they just change elements here and there that make them quite different from each other, but they still break down into nice big genre piles, just like you do in computer games. Uh, but thematically, yes. Theme- thematically and color and ways of getting people into the game, certainly a lot more variety in the board game space than you see in the computer space. Um, it's exciting to see more things happening in the mobile space. Um, I probably play on my iPad as much as I play on my PC now. Um, it's probably the best uh, gaming device I have now. Cause I can, you know, I'll go to visit a friend out in the suburbs. I just take my iPad with me and I play some History of the World and I'm kind of content. Uh, so it would be nice to see if you can get nice short sessions like that back on the PC, because right now I don't play a lot of short PC games. Uh, the strategy games that you know we, we talk about a lot and that I tend to prefer because of the decline of the RTS now tend to be you know, the 50-hour super games. And if I want to, it's a Civilization, or it's a Crusader Kings, or it's a war game campaign, it's something that just goes on and on, or a Rome campaign, it's something that just goes on and on and on. And all my short burst game, my 40 minutes here, 40 minutes there, I mean, that's in roguelikes, generally. Uh, or Candy Crush, I mean, I don't know, something like that. Uh, a lot of roguelikes, you know, stuff like that. I know I'm going to die in an hour, so I can, and I have an hour, so I might as well just play around for a bit until I, I, I die of poison. be nice to have a game like an RTS that I could just play it for a session and stop and then go back to what I'm doing, a good lunch hour game. Um, and I'd like to see that come back, and I think if we keep, I mean, Soren's talking about a very interesting design, and you know, say science fiction. We're going to Mars. I'm all for, I'm all for more science fiction strategy games that aren't about building ships. <laughs> There'll be no ship design, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that and this is the part where Rob just like breaks down crying at Soren's feet for like ten minutes, and but, just but, but but wait, DLC. Edit that part out. D- D- DLC. <laughs> Well, you never know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, well, you know, that's what Troy was saying kind of sparked the thought in my mind about, you know, one of the, sort of the core differences between board games and uh, computer games, because one of the advantages that board games is have is that you're sort of forced to run the engine of the game or the simulation of the game physically. Like, you know, you actually have to do all the steps yourself. So you can actually have some you know some games that have a lot of similarities but just have a couple key changes and you see immediately how that affects everything right because you're you're watching you know the moves the other players are making and you're having to do these things yourself you know whereas with computer games um because a lot you know especially with these big production games because a lot goes into the graphics 
you really have to marry a lot. There's a lot of these games you really have to marry before you can fully understand what's going on there. And you could really, you know, take value from, you know, whatever uh, gameplay innovation, you know, these strategy uh, developers are coming from, you know, I mean, at, at a very high level, for example, you know, the Total War games don't look all that much different from, you know, the Paradox games, for example, but, you know, they're of course, you know, a world apart, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of other games that, you know, have strategy games that have sort of similar appearances, you know, that it's, you know, it's, it's hard to bring that core gameplay to the fore, you know, when a lot of stuff is sort of running, going on in the background, um, you know, and beyond that, like as when you're developing and designing those games, oftentimes, you know, it's, it's very easy for a designer to come up with an interesting algorithm or, you know, kind of this interesting gameplay mechanic or interesting decision that the user is going to have to make, but that user misses it. You know, they, they, they never realize that they actually made it, that there was an alternative or that there was another choice they might, they might've been able to make, you know, the stuff is happening, you know, in a box inside the computer. So they're sort of missing out on what's interesting about the game. You know, there's a big communication challenge. So before we let you go, Soren, um, tell us a little bit about like who are Mohawk Games? Like, is it and, and what's this game going to look like? What like help us set our expectations here? Okay, well, we're a small independent studio. Um, it's uh, we're in we're in Baltimore. Um, it's uh, right now it's me and Dorian Newcomb, um, who is who was the lead artist on Civ Five, uh, which was you know a gorgeous game. I mean, the team did a great job with that. Um, and he, I, I've worked with Dorian on Civ 3, on Civ 4, so he and I go back uh, a long, long way. Um, and uh, there's, you know, some other people who are going to be joining our team, um, but uh, you know, they're not. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll announce that when it happens. Um, we're also working closely with Oxide, uh, which is uh, essentially the Civ 5 graphics engine team um, that... Uh, sort of split off maybe around a year ago from mm-hmm. Fraxis. Um, and they're developing the Nitrous engine, which is um, uh, from the important thing from my point of view is it's a graphics engine that's, it's a graphical engine that's dedicated to strategy games, right? I've, I've, I've made strategy games on various different engines over the years, and I've seen other teams work with many other ones. And, you know, generally speaking, you often have to sort of misuse a graphics engine to make it work as a strategy game. Usually, when you're making a, you, 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 most middleware graphics engines are built for first-person, third-person games, right? I mean, that's that's their bread and butter. Butter. The strategy games are kind of the weird exceptions, you know, because they're you know they have a god, god view perspective. They have this huge world where you can jump around any time. You have all these units and buildings and creatures and terrain features, and you know, it's just it's um, it's really just a very different world. So it's it's really fun to work in an engine where they're catering towards my needs as opposed to, you know, having to kind of, you know, you know twist it to work, to work for us. Um, uh, like, like Oxide, we're, um, uh, we're initially funded uh, uh, through Stardock. Um, so Brad Wardell's also uh, helping out, helping us out. He's essentially handling the, the business end for us. Um, and so we're, uh, you know, we're essentially sort of like he describes us as we're sort of this loose coalition of companies. You know, we're we're independent, but we're also you know, relying on you know the resources of Stardock to uh, you know help us move forward. Uh, I mean, for example, I right now I'm 
mostly just you know coding and designing. I haven't actually had to do a whole lot of the overhead business stuff that you know is often a big problem for people who are starting starting their own studios. Um, and so we're not we're not looking to become uh, you know an enormous company. Um, I'm, I my intention is to keep this, the team small so that we can experiment. We can make different types of games. You know, I think that there should be, you know, really a much greater variety of computer strategy games out there than there are. And that's really going to be one of the big focuses of our studio. Um, and that means that means a certain level of risk, which is something that would be difficult at a major publisher. And that's why we would stay small. Um, and that's also why we would aim for, um, you know, a very healthy market, which means core PC strategy games. You know, I'm, I'm very interested in stuff like mobile, um, but, you know, the, the market there is is not one that I would describe as very healthy. Um, and so, you know, there might be some ideas I have that I just will not, you know, I will not be happy unless I get to try them out. But, you know, right now, the important thing is, is trying to follow a sustainable business model. And, you know, what that means is, or PC strategy games, um, you know, that you buy for one price and that's it. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's an old model, but it works. Great. And uh, I, for one, am also very excited that you are now your own man, right? And that means you can come on the show more. <laughs> that's right. Uh, will I still have to be an intern? Uh, I, I think, you know, you've gotten all the course credit you need, right? <laughs> Then I think we're. Then I think we can let you. Uh, we, can, need- we can let you be a former intern, and maybe make you staff. Maybe. I can aspire. All right. So that's been a discussion of the current state of the RTS and where it might be headed. Obviously, this is something that uh, a lot of people have opinions about, and will probably be revisiting. Uh, you know, as time goes by, it'll be interesting to see how this podcast, I think, looks a year or two from now, uh, given the state of the landscape. Uh, but. We wait in suspense along with the rest of you. Uh, um, a reminder to people to, uh, if you want to talk about the podcast, we have a forum on the Idle Thumbs, uh, and we link to them on our Twitter feed. So please check out the forum. You can talk about the talk about our shows. We have a nice community building over there bit by bit. And rate and review us on iTunes uh, if you get the chance. Absolutely. And uh, my thanks to you, Troy, for spending your Saturday night uh, chatting with us, and to you, Soren, for joining us on short notice. Uh, and as always, our thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for putting this episode together. There's some glitches he's going to take care of. So once again, it's not a milk run for Michael. Uh, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Until next week, good night. Night, everyone. Good night.